We're back at Manchester United. My name is Rohit and today we're going to be doing a podcast with Tim Adams, a lifelong Manchester United fan, to understand his perspective on where the club is right now on and off the pitch and where do we go from here. Stay tuned. So Tim, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you to be here. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. So I'm really interested in understanding your journey as a Manchester United fan and and where you see things going right now. Yeah. So first, can you share with me how did it all start for you as a Man United fan? You know, why did you start supporting Manchester United and why not uh, any other club in the world? So I actually I live in Essex, um, it, which is just outside of London. So the first thing I think anyone will you know sort of talk about um, me when I was being a United fan at school was that I was a United fan in the period that you know started being a fan that Ronaldo, Rooney, and Tevez were kind of um, in their prime. And obviously being outside of London um, and being a United fan, the glory hunter kind of motto went with that. But my dad had always supported United since the 1960s. So it, it goes from, so my dad um, went to a game, so his dad was a Spurs fan and he went to a game at White Hart Lane. I think United won three or four one in the late 60s and Best Law and Charlton were the front three, you know, the United Trinity. And um, yeah, um, my dad actually went against his dad's wish, wishes being a Spurs fan and uh, actually went with, supporting United based off that single match and yeah I, I kind of it was 2005-2006 my first ever Man United match I ever watched was the FA Cup final in 2005 where we lost to Arsenal on penalties completely dominated the match um, and then lost and then I remember you know Joe Cole scoring that goal at Stamford Bridge where we lost the league title at Chelsea in 06 and then it kind of went from yeah went from there really um, but my dad's supporting it was the big factor. I think whoever my dad supported would have been the club that I would have supported and it turned out to be United. Nice. That's that's actually a, a really nice story, right? And, uh, you know, you're really lucky growing up in England, you can go to football games at, at this level. Right? For me, it was slightly different growing up in India. Um, the year was 1998. I was probably in fourth grade, grade just starting to really love football, you know, playing football. I was never a really good player. And uh, we had the World Cup that year, right? Um, and uh, my dad started to get me interested and say, you know what, you should watch the World Cup. The challenge with World Cup games or with basically any European football in India is that it's it's almost at midnight most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I remember the, the, the World Cup final. Uh, my dad, my brother and I stayed up for that. Unfortunately, I fell asleep at like 11 o'clock and I just could not be woken up. And then, of course, uh, France won 3-0 against Brazil. So the following year, I well, after that, right? And I, I remember one of the incidents of that World Cup, if I'm not mistaken, there was David Beckham getting a red card uh, after he kicked out of Diego Simeone. Yeah, Argentina, wasn't it? The, the quarterfinal, yeah. Exactly. And hence, uh, uh, Bex's huge rivalry with uh, with Argentina. Now, a few months after that, that uh, World Cup ended, uh, I put on the TV and I saw David Beckham again 
playing for Manchester United. And I was thinking to myself, how does this guy play for England and Manchester United? You can't play for two teams. And I remember at that time, my dad explained to me a little bit about the history of Man United, uh, also the difference between club football and, and, and playing for a country. Yeah, um, And uh, he trained in uh, part of his career in, in England, so he knew about, uh, about English football as well. And after I learned more about the, the Munich air disaster, the unfortunate uh, 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 time the club went through and then the recovery after that, uh, I was a little bit drawn to Manchester United. And that year I started watching them and... Uh, my first huge memory of a of a of a football game for Man United was uh, coming back against uh, Bayern Munich to win two one at the Camp Nou. Nineteen ninety nine Champions League final, yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you something funny. I actually fell asleep. I, I was dozing for the first goal, and when Solskjaer scored, uh, I thought it was one all. And I remember saying, "And Solskjaer has won it." It was. I was just going crazy, right? I didn't. I didn't understand the full. Uh, size of what the the seismic nature of what had just been achieved, right? Um, but look, uh, from then onwards, it's been an amazing journey as a United fan, right through the Sir Alex Ferguson years, and uh, there was a time that you know I thought I'd never never end up uh, going to a Manchester United game, and then my company gave me an opportunity to uh, to move to Manchester uh, to be a season, and then I, I was a season ticket holder. And my apartment had the most beautiful view of Old Trafford uh, in in uh, in Salford. So I really lived the dream of a United fan. Yeah, and I, I think for me, you know, the, the first game that I went to, um, oh wow, when was that? It was probably two thousand and seven, eight. It was a match against Bolton or Blackburn, I think it was. But I, the first thing that I went to a tour of the stadium um, in the in in uh, sorry, yeah, game would have been 08 and 09. So I went to the a, a tour of the stadium before I went to any game and that was really what left an impression on me more than a match actually because we ended up going into the area where um, United you know 2008 they held the Champions League and the Premier League should have won mm-hmm. the FA Cup against Portsmouth you know should have probably won it that year they lost to Portsmouth in in the quarterfinals but um, I ended up having a chance to touch both of those trophies and I've got a picture in the house of me and my younger sister Katie um, both of us are, you know are touching both the Premier League and the Champions League trophy, and that left uh, a pretty, you know, indelible kind of mark on on me as a young kind of lad. Kind of, I, w- I would have been about eight or nine at that point, and uh, that was a big thing for me uh, overall. Amazing, lucky you. Yeah, the closest I've got to touching a uh, a trophy uh, was in 2017 when I visited Old Trafford for the first time um, and uh, we had the FA Cup and the, the Community Shield uh, back then if I'm not mistaken so there's a picture of me with, with the two of them during the, the stadium tour <laughs> I'd like to think the Premier League and the Champions League were a bit bigger but <laughs> oh yeah no that's a two points to you man you're, you're way ahead of me in that yeah so coming to your history and during, during your time as a Man United fan who's been your, your all time or Let's say your all-time favorite Manchester United player. It's such a tough question, isn't it? Because there are so many. Um, oh wow! To be fair, I guess growing up, uh, the, the first players that kind of struck me, you, you know, were Rooney, Ronaldo, and Tevez. That front three that obviously went on to to do what they did. Um, I think in that era, G Sung Park always had a big match against Arsenal. And, you know, growing up in Essex, a lot of my mates are Arsenal fans. And the fact that Park continued to to do that against Arsenal was quite a big factor. But in terms of the best player, um, 
I would say I'm I'm probably going to go back, and I have to say George Best in terms of the image for what he did to United. I think George Best was 20 years in terms of image rights kind of before any other player. You know, Dennis Law and Bobby Charlton were amazing players, but Best, mm. I think, had... He was the beckon of that era. And I think there weren't many players at that time in the 60s. You know, they, in the, the, the music and the cultural scene kind of lent itself to that. And I think Best helped make United a culture club in that sense that... United could be seen alongside as, you know, the Beatles and and Bob Dylan and you know, you, you know Bill Withers and and the R and B kind of soul music from that era as well, kind of that sex symbol of United and he kind of transcended football. So not, I mean, obviously we know what happened with the drinking and with the with the womanizing kind of in the seventies, but in terms of what he did on the pitch, there was a match against Benfica in the 1960s where, you know, United were away to Benfica. And, you know, that was the Benfica team with Eusebio. That was the Benfica team who had dominated European Cups um, alongside Inter Milan uh, and Real Madrid at that at that time. And he scored a brace. And I think it, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen watching the videos back from players. And if that happened now, the you know you can imagine the videos and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok how what they'd be like. So yeah, George Best I'd say for what he did off the pitch during the United era, um, but also what he did on it as well was just stunning overall. That that's actually a, a very cool answer because you know I I would say the same thing. It's so difficult to choose, right? We we've, we've been blessed with some. With some absolute legends at this club, right? Uh, um, right from from the days of George Best and uh, Sir Bobby Charlton, and of course Dennis Law, um, till till Wayne Rooney, right? Who's just retired? Uh, and and you look at the current crop, and you also think, you know, there could be uh, some big names coming out there, right? Uh, for me, I would say yes, George Best uh, easily, easily he he brings and he attracts. He attracts a sort of a passion and a sense of, 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 uh, of. Uh, uh, he's a maverick, right? He br- brings a certain je ne sais quoi to Manchester United in the in the sixties, right? Um, and then, of course, we've got going further down the line, Eric Cantona, who brings it in a totally different, uh, a different age, right? And uh, today, we're blessed to be having, in, in many ways, Bruno Fernandes in, in the yeah, first year, yeah. really uh-huh. showing up and bringing in that special, that special, special effect. But I'd say that in my time, the greatest Manchester United player, as, as a fan, has to be Wayne Rooney. Yeah, yeah, and I completely get you in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's provided some some outstanding. First of all, when he when he burst onto that scene, right? I, I still remember his first goal. Uh, of course. For Everton, it was against Arsenal that he scored that that great goal, and I said, "This this kid is going to be crazy." And a few months later, there was a fan with a board up at Old Trafford saying, uh, "Please sign Rooney." Um, and then come the summer, he rocked up at Old Trafford in a United shirt, and then he scored that hat trick on his Champions League debut. Uh, Fenerbahce, and wasn't it? Uh, I think exactly. overall, yeah, yeah. I I still remember that that commentary when he scored the third goal. The commentator said, "Rooney." It's inevitable, and I think that's the moment a star was born in Manchester United, and, and 
was quite clear that he was more likely than not going to smash that record by Sir Bobby Charlton. That was the free kick, wasn't it? The third goal from memory. Was it, was it That was the free kick against Fenerbahce at the Stratford end, I think? Exactly, yeah. That was exactly what it was. Uh, outstanding goal, yeah. And then, I mean, that that was the the, the crowning goal of his of his first hat trick, and then the the crowning goal when he when he broke Sir Bobby's record for Manchester United was again an amazing free kick against Stoke City, right? Um, I mean, he he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, that that said a lot of levels about United. The first one they won three. No, they, the first one they won six. Was it six? They won that that, that they scored six against Fenerbahce that day. Um, it was a, it was an easy win from memory. Um, then the Stoke one was a one or draw. <laughs> so so it, it <laughs> yeah. showed the levels of where that went, you know, how it started and how it ended in terms of the record. It was kind of, it showed United's demise, I guess, after Ferguson left as well. I kind of agree with you over there. Yeah. But now going from, from the past to the present, uh, let's we're looking at the current squad. Uh, who's your current your current favorite Manchester United player? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think it would be the same player with with any with any fan. It's Bruno Fernandes um, by a distance. The, the impact that he's had um, is is beyond words. Um, you look at, for example, you know other clubs signing players for sixty seven and a half million pounds, and you won't get much bigger impact than what Fernandes has done. You know, he's he's in the top five top goal scorers of the league and he's a midfielder. It, it's absurd. You know, he, he's alongside kind of the likes of Salah and Vardy and, and Harry Kane and he he's not a striker. He can play a false nine, of course, um, but he's not a striker. Um, and to those who say that he scores, it's just penalties. Well, you know, it's it, you'd rather have him in your squad than not. And he, he, Bruno Fernandes would get into any squad in the world. He would get to any first team in the world. I would even include Bayern Munich's. Maybe it's too stereotypical to say it like that because the styles of play are different. But on the surface, he would get into any team in the world. He's that good. Um, you know, I think he's got like 19, you know, 19 goals in about 30 to 33, 32, 33 appearances for United. It's it's a ridiculous number. Um, and um, I mean, I could go to the stat as well, where United, I think, have won 69 points since he's been at the club. That's more than any other club. I think Liverpool 63 and second. So, you know, without him, United wouldn't even be in the top six, top seven, because the league is that tight at the top. Um, but what has impressed me most, it, it's the mental attitude. You know, you can do it on the pitch brilliantly, but you've got to do it consistently. And, you know, he is undroppable. And I feel for Donny van der Beek because that's the case. So you, there's the argument, well, how do you play them both in the same team together? Um, but yeah, Fernandes is... Uh, without Fernandes, United would not be where they are at the minute. And with him, they've got a chance to get to the next level and compete in the Champions League in the next few years. They really do. Yeah, you know, for me, it's uh, it's it's a very close tie between Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, uh, and th- there's a reason for that, right? So Marcus, first of all, he comes from the academy. He's been brilliant off the pitch in what he's done. Uh, uh, you know, taking on the government, uh, really standing up for for hungry kids in this country, right? Which which says a lot about his character as well. Yeah, using his his position and his fame to to good effect, I would argue. Um, but uh, on the other side, he's 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 this really strong player, a young talent who could be world-class, right? Uh, easily also, in my opinion, capable of someday 
breaking Wayne Rooney's record. Of course, he's got his weaknesses and his improvement areas, as does does Bruno. And on the other side, Bruno, I mean, look, I've, I followed this guy for a very long time. You know, I was shouting my, not so much on Twitter, but, but you know, to friends and uh, talking about him like two years before he actually joined Man United because uh, in the Portuguese league, he was extremely dominant with sporting. Yeah. Um, and it's that leadership, you know, that leadership. There's a video of him storming down, uh, down the pitch after a red card for sporting, and and you know, kind of smashing up the uh, one of the doors near the dressing room because he's so furious for for letting his team down, you know, uh, getting that red card. And he brings that man, that mentality to Man United. Now, I was there for his first game, um, uh, which was against Wolves at Old Trafford. Yeah, and United were attacking the East Stand. Yeah. In the first half, mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Three minutes into the game, uh, he was barking out orders to Martial: "Move, move, stretch the play. I need this." Telling people, you know, he'd been there like what twenty-four hours in Manchester, and there were oh, forty-eight hours. One training session with the team, and he was telling people what to do, and the whole crowd was going, "Bruno, Bruno!" It was that that quick. Everybody really took to him, and I'm super excited to see where we go with Bruno Fernandes in the future because he is going to be a really, really strong player. And he's not even had his peak yet, in my opinion. But that's the incredible yeah. thing, that he's, he's still got potential and he's still at an age where he, he's not he's nowhere near his peak, which is scary. And that's that's the brilliant thing about it. Was that Wolves game the nil Was that the nil-nil, by the way? Um, exactly. I, 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 was I, was in, I was in the Stratford M for that. It was the one of the last few games I've actually been to Old Trafford. I've got a friend from uh, university up there who... Uh, he gave me a ticket for that game, and uh, I think I remember just agonising at the end because looking at I remember watching Pogba as well, and, and and the space that he had in midfield, and I think he was just doing countless stepovers and thinking, God, just just lay the ball off, please. But you know where he's come from from that to to now is uh, um, is exceptional. But I'd quickly on Rashford as well. We're talking about what Best had done off the pitch in the sixties. Um, Rashford, mm. different way, you know, different circumstances in terms of making an impact sure. off the pitch. But, you know, Rashford um, deserves everything that he gets off the pitch. And, you know, I've, I've seen the kind of the ironic posts about him being leader of the opposition over Keir Starmer, which is quite funny. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, his impact in terms of making United um, uh, a cultural brand in a, in a different way is is really cool. And, you know, like he he deserves um, you know every award that he he gets, and hopefully he can add a trophy at the end of the season to that. Yep. Now we talked about on and off the pitch with Marcus with Marcus Rashford, right? Let's talk about Manchester United on and off the pitch in the last year or so. Uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, we know Ole came in as a caretaker manager. There was that run and there was a bit of a uh, uh, <laughs> a shake-up towards the end, yeah, where we didn't end up qualifying for the Champions League, uh, right? Um, but then last year, things started to change. And here we find ourselves now sitting on top of the league, right? We don't want to get too cocky with it, obviously. it's uh, We have some way to go. What are your reflections and thoughts on how far we've come? It's 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 been good because the consistency's been better. Um and I've always been very on the very pessimistic side that this United side I'd be surprised if they won a league title in the next five to six years, but the way they've been at the minute, 
I think they, they could reduce that gap quite considerably because they've caught up quicker than I've expected because the consistency has has been there throughout. And I, the, 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 yeah, the thing is, I guess the start of this season, you can look at Palace, um, Tottenham and Arsenal. Arsenal less so because that was at the end of kind of October, early November. But, you know, the United had played in the Europa League. You know, they didn't really get much of a pre-season. So if you take those results out, it, it's been incredible. You know, it, it's it's not Liverpool and City. It's not what Liverpool and City have done over the past few years in getting, you know, 99, 100 points. You know, United aren't going to get that this season. Even the most optimistic fans wouldn't say they'd probably get over 90 points. So then you do tend to think, well, if City and Liverpool get back to that standard, can United get to that standard in the next few years? But the fact we're actually having, you know, we're actually asking these questions shows how far we've come because two years ago, we wouldn't have even been considering them. And I think Oli, you know, he he deserves a lot of credit in terms of not just bringing the mentality of the club back off the pitch. I keep talking about off the pitch and the, and, and the mental side of it because that's so important. Um, but the signings have been pretty, pretty strong. Um, the, the squad depth is there in midfield, maybe not defensive midfield, but it's there. I think that they are, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but they are a two or three. They remind me of Liverpool at the minute before Van Dijk and Alisson. And United don't need a goalkeeper. They they might need a centre back, um, mm-hmm. but they are two or three kind of signings like a Haaland or a um, or a, a really really good defensive midfielder away from from challenging potentially for the Champions League. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but that's where they stand. But you know, from where they were previously. Um, it's 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 a sea change. It really is, and it, it's been a rough, bumpy ride. But it was never going to be easy. You know, Klopp came into Liverpool, and and they were celebrating a draw against West Brom at Anfield. So, y- you know, it, it's it's never going to be an easy ride. But Solskjaer's done well, and I'm happy for him. I agree with you because, you know, a lot of people, right, very reactionary fans, for example, think that Rome was built in a day. They weren't around where. Where Sir Alex took uh, what was it four years to get anywhere and you're winning his first uh, first trophy. Mm. Yeah, uh, in recent times as well. And now we have to we have to admit football clubs are a lot more fickle when it comes to players or managers, right? Um, so ultimately, I think what what Solskjaer has been able to achieve in this short time has been quite strong. Look, okay, everybody complains. Yeah, we've bottled three semi-finals or four semi-finals. I say, no, actually, we've reached four semi-finals. And yes, we've failed, but we reached them. And we have a little bit of improvement or even maybe a lot of improvement to go in, in mentality and stuff. Things like like players you can buy, right? Uh, but mentality takes time to build. Squad, uh, togetherness, you know, fighting for each other, having each other's backs takes time to build. And I think we really saw a strong sign of that after that, that Aston Villa game, right? At Old Trafford where people are yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, by for, for his heroics, yeah, putting his body on the line. And, you know, that's the kind of, of uh, the, the most likable squad uh, a lot of people say, right? That That's what Manchester United is. And look, last year I used to go to Old Trafford and I'd be standing outside then, you know, the players take a lot more time to, to come out and, 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 you know, acknowledge the fans and, and sign autographs and so on and so forth, which uh, 
during the Mourinho years and Van Gaal era, I was understanding to be, yes, it happened, but maybe it was not at the same scale. Um, so I feel that there's a big, big, big change in the club on and off the pitch. And look, let's not fool ourselves. Yeah. Whether it comes to our signings, we need to get better at our, at our speed. Yeah. Accuracy has improved a lot, but we need to get better at our speed. Um, but I think that overall, we are definitely going in the right direction. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I don't know the community kind of aspects as, as well as you do, but you can definitely tell that the, 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 the on the pitch, the togetherness is, um, is there. And I'd, I'd even go so far to say is that the results against Wolves, the 1-0, the Villa result, the 2-1, and the Burn and the Burnley result, the one 0 coming off the back of the two two, you know, conceding five minutes from the end against Leicester, were more impressive than going away to City last year and winning, going away to Chelsea last year, and you know, going away um, to Spurs last year and getting a getting a point there, um, because it, these are the kind of games which do win you titles that consistency because then if you get the odd draw in the big away games and you win the games you should win and this is what's been frustrating for united over the past few years is that united now are winning the games on paper they should that you know the, the bookies would say they should win and they are picking up points in 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 the big games albeit not as many this year as previous years but they've still got to go to the emirates stamford bridge uh etihad um and tottenham so that that will be the acid test for them um and they need to win one or two of them to be in with a shout of winning, winning the title um but yeah it, it the togetherness is incredible at the minute now speaking of togetherness right right you 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 take time to build a squad around uh you know experienced people you know young hungry talent so on and so forth right Let's take a look at our signings, right? And now if you look at the post-Sir Alex years uh, under Van Gaal, Mourinho, we had a lot of shooting in the dark with signings. We had some successes. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, from my, from, uh, in my opinion, was an outstanding signing, right? But we still had your Lukaku who came in and for, went, went off after two years. Uh, we also had uh, uh, Angel Di Maria, who was a, a, a big, messy signing. We had Falcao, so on and so forth. You know, Schneiderlin, uh, all these guys came in and it seemed like there was absolutely zero football strategy. But then we start to build a little bit more logic to how we're doing things. Yeah. Um, and this summer, we thought that we were going to get Sancho, who I was I thought was a nailed on signing. Uh, but then the impact of COVID came in and then we ended up with Edinson Cavani, Van der Beek, Tellers, and two really young, bright talents uh, Facundo Pelestri, uh, who's been playing with the under-23s, if I'm not mistaken. And now, uh, Diallo has joined the squad as well. Let's go one by one. And what's your assessment of these guys? First, with Cavani. Um, my instincts at the time was that it was a panic buy. I'm really not going to lie about that. Um, you know, United have obviously been searching for Sancho the whole window. That You know, there have been rumours within, I think, Bill, the German newspaper, reporting... Um, that the a contract had been signed in terms of a gentleman's agreement um uh, not an actual contract but a verbal agreement for that um and obviously united and dortmund couldn't agree a fee cavani then comes in at the last minute and you think wow this is another falcao deadline day signing but he is impressed <laughs> to be honest he's 
you know, he's he, he's reminding me of RVP, not be, not just because um, he scored two late goals against Southampton. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I can easily go back to that match. And if we're talking about that match, United are definitely going to win the league. Um, but in terms of the, the the work ethic, I mean, he hasn't scored a goal from um, from a start yet. That that is something to be wary of. But his impact off the bench has been good, and he's happy to be on the bench, and he is earning a lot of money. Um, but I do think, in terms of the impact of the squad, I think Pogba playing better has actually helped. Has been true. Has been a, a of a help because of Cavani. I actually think Cavani's personality in the dressing room has been a very similar personality to Ibrahimovic in terms of, you know, not, he's not going to take his shirt off and, you, you know, um, shout ego every five seconds, but he, he is, he, he is somebody who will let the talking um, be on the pitch and players can see him as a role model for what he's won. You know, Cavani's record over the past five or six years is even longer than that, probably 10, 12 years is ridiculous. You know, he's, he's just behind Ronaldo and Messi in terms of goal tallies. It's astonishing the record that he's had. And I'm away for PSG and people might say Farmers League, but yeah, he's it's been a really good signing overall. And uh, I, I think they would definitely extend the year um, contract um, uh, for him. But I think two years is enough. I think... I think after that you need to move on, but it, it's a good kind of it's a good signing right now. I think. I mean, his his work ethic and his movement is really strong, right? I I felt like uh, you know that's that's Martial's biggest weakness, right? Um, and I feel like Martial is is making a better effort since Cavani's been around, yeah. Um, but overall, you know, Cavani has been, I would say, a really good signing uh, that uh, uh, scored quite a few good goals, and also you know if. He, there are opportunities that he can take. I think we should be setting him up a lot more. Uh, but speaking of, of setting up strikers, uh, somebody who does it really well is uh, Bruno Fernandes. But uh, we signed what we thought was going to be an understudy maybe to to him or potentially a Pogba replacement on Van der Beek. But who has, hasn't really exa- got a lot of time under his belt or he hasn't really shone in many ways, right? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's a tough one, this, because there are, there are two sides. One side is that, you know, he's going to eventually play at some point. Fernandes is not going to be playing every three days, every game for every season, and Van der Beek will get his chance. And if you look at the best squads in the Champions League, and in the Premier League, Man City's squad depth is ridiculous. Liverpool's squad depth is pretty good when they haven't got any injuries. Bayern Munich's squad depth is unbelievable. Um, and you need players like Van der Beek to be in that squad to challenge for those big trophies. On the other side, I feel from a bit because he has come from Ajax where he's been playing week in, week out. He started against Real Madrid in the Champions League um, when they got to that run against Spurs and lost in the semi-final. You know, he, he's a product of their youth system and we all know how good their youth system is. Um, and I, I think his time will come. I think it will. And I think, it would, it, tell you what, it would not surprise me if he played against Fulham with Fernandes. I think Fulham away is the kind of game where United potentially could get away with playing two, two central attacking midfielders with Matic. Because I think Van der Beek has the ability to play in a two in a, in, in a four two three one, 
and against the lower sides, especially away from home when they will, will, will open up, you can play both of them. And I think, you know, Sheffield United, Liverpool, Fulham, he could easily play in two out of those three, I think. Um, so I think the I think there is a bit of an overreaction. He's not going to be sold in the summer. He's not going to leave. Um, he will be a part of this squad and his time will come. But I, I do feel for the situation that he is in right now, but I'm sure Solskjaer will give him that opportunity. Definitely. I mean, look, uh, we, we haven't just rocked up at uh, in Amsterdam and bought a player with, without a plan, right? Uh, and uh, look, we need that squad depth. I agree with you there. Uh, we know what one injury could do to Bruno Fernandes could do, right? The the mental impact that would take on the players because he's he's the talisman. Now, Van der Beek brings, in my opinion, something different where he runs in behind the strikers. Uh, you know, he he plays a really smart through balls and he's really good at evading the press as well. Yeah. So, while I completely agree he's not really shone and he's not been given enough time, I am very convinced that this is a player who could really contribute uh, in, in the next few years. Definitely got the ability. Yeah? And speaking of players with, with strong ability, coming in from Porto... Uh, in the last few months of his contract, uh, before it ran down, Alex Tellis uh, uh, come in at uh, left back. Um, not played as much as Luke Shaw has, uh, but definitely had an impact in a surprising way. Which is I think it's an exceptional signing. I think it's one of the best signings United have made in defence in, in years. And the reason I say that is because it provides world-class depth in that left-back position. And it's something that I think very few teams have. City have it, Bayern Munich have it. I can't think of many others. Um, because the impact of what it's done is that Shaw's been incredible. Um, because <laughs> the competition's there. And, you know, Tellez and Shaw, the thing is, wing-backs, I think this is one thing that Liverpool have discovered as well, that having not much strength in depth at wing-backs is going to hurt them because Trent and Robertson, I think, look shattered at times um, when they're playing because you need yep. so much energy um, and the game's changed from Gary Neville playing every three days you need to be an athletic you need to be an athletic player uh, at wing back and I think looking at the right hand side as well where you see Wan-Bissaka times getting complacent his positional awareness at the back post with deep crosses isn't great you know he's brilliant he's brilliant against Liverpool brilliant against City away last year but there have been games where it's been a struggle. And I think the reason for that is he doesn't really have any competition. Now, if Max Ahrens was signed, that would, you know, that would alleviate that. If Ethan Laird's came through, that would alleviate that. But I think left back United are sorted for the next seven, eight years now. And it's it's a great, great feeling to have because in Shaw and Tellers, they've got two, I'd say seven, eight out of 10 left backs. And I think Shaw has got himself back into the England squad. And I think Tellers will... You know, PSG away was a sign of Tellez's ability. Um, you know, he hasn't had many appearances, but oh my god, when he when he plays, he is good. His crossing ability is stunning as well. Exactly, and imagine if you've got uh, a Cavani playing there, you know, a physically imposing strike, or you've got a Haaland over there. Uh, I mean, the the effect would be devastating. Tellers really is. He's a sharpshooter, yeah? and and my hope is there's just one thing I want from from Tellers this year, right? Um, I want to see him arrive in that hole outside the box and and absolutely uh, thunder one, a, a sh- have a sharpshooter shot because he has got a a ridiculous power in his left foot. Uh, and I've seen him hit them sometimes. You know, um, if 
if one of those flies into the back of the net, uh, the Stratford net in, a, in uh, full old Stratford, <laughs> exactly. There's, yeah, yeah. There's there's going to be there's going to be some fireworks going on. But uh, those are established players. But we've also signed two young guns in Facundo Pelestri and uh, Ahmad Diallo, right? Diallo's, of course, just been in Manchester a week or so now. Um, how excited are you to see uh, Pelestri first is, is, a, is a bit of a weird one, uh, but I think it's a clever one. Uh, you know, United South American Scouting Network's improved considerably over the last few few uh, weeks and, and months, and I'll say pretty last few years, actually. Um you know, Tim Vickery, who's a journalist in South America, who who, who I follow quite a lot, actually, you know, um, has kind of explained Pelistri's background and it's good. You know, he signed from Peneril, who are uh, the five-time Copa Libertadores champions, which is the the Champions League version mm-hmm. of the uh, for, South, for South America. Yeah. Um, he He's had a very, very good start to his career career so far but not to the potential where you think you know United aren't signing a Ronaldo from Sporting Lisbon that's not police street um yeah sure. the, I think the potential is there and I think this is essentially just trusting United South American scouting network um he's been really good mm-hmm. in the under 23s so far um he's he starred at youth mm-hmm. level quite a bit and if he can kind of replicate what Greenwood's done at that level um it, you know that great, brilliant. Um, and in terms of Diallo, um, I think again, United are kind of going down this transfer route of signing young players with potential, and the best young players in in South America and in in Europe, which is nice because I remember what ten months ago people were saying, "Oh, Solskjaer's just going to sign English players. It's just going to be like a Brexit FC." So I'm thinking, "Oh, give me a g- <laughs> exactly. g- give me a break." Um, so. Yeah, I think it's a very good sign in Diallo, and the fact that Solskjaer's already talking about him putting him in the squad for the for the uh, for the next few games, potentially the FA Cup game against Liverpool, shows that you know how well he's done in training. Um, you know, he's Diallo scored eighteen, nineteen goals for Atalanta in their youth tournament. He scored a goal against Man City's youth team, which is incredible. If 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 you saw that at their academy stadium, um, his movement is messy like. It's 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 very similar, um, and of course, being from um, you know the same country as as Eric Bailly, he's got that link of 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 the two there. So I'm excited. Yeah, um, United are going in the right direction for the youth signing. So I think Diallo will be better than Pelistri. I'll say that, um, but I don't think there'll be much yeah. in between the two of them at the start overall. I, I agree with you 100% that potential-wise, Diallo's on a different planet altogether. But Pelestri is also quite impressive. Yeah, He can definitely do, do a good job uh, at Manchester United in the future. I, I'm waiting to see Diallo come in. And, you know, a, a friend of mine, Kausto Pandey, is a, he's a really strong football analyst and he watches the Italian league a lot. This guy's been talking about Diallo since before he was even linked to United. And I trust his, his judgment implicitly. I think we're in for quite a firecracker of a player, but we just need to be a little bit careful here. Uh, and uh, I can see him, you know, potentially cough up like a Makeda-style <laughs> moment. But we also need to give him time because if he's well-managed under the correct guidance and coached and man-managed uh, correctly by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and that, that uh, coaching staff that he's got around him, um, I'm really, really excited to see Yeah, this I just hope United fans don't think that he's going to make the same impact that Messi did. 
for Barcelona. I just don't, I hope they don't think that because the worst thing you can do for teenagers is make expectations high. And looking at Greenwood at the minute, sure. you know, who has, you know, dropped him full um, from where he was at the end of last season. You know, players at that age are going to be, they're going to be up and down. And, and you know, Diallo will be the same. He's not going to be a firecracker consistently. He, he he will do that from game to game. But, you know, the potential to do that consistently in the future is is definitely there overall. Nice. Now, Let's say that, uh, I mean, we, we've talked about our, our existing signings, right? But let's say Manchester United need to go from where they are today to um, to having a, a, a team worthy of winning the Champions League or the Premier League, at least a first eleven. yeah? Uh, which positions do you think need a signing? And name one player that um, you in that position. To be blunt, up front, Haaland. If they got Haaland, it would be a game changer. But the problem is that every side in Europe's for, um, for wanting Haaland at the minute. Um, I'd actually prefer Haaland to Sancho, in all honesty. Um, I think United need a number, not a number nine, but they need they need a, a player of a calibre of a striker like Haaland who can take them to the next level. Because United at the minute, they create so many chances. And what frustrates me is that they when they get positions in the box... Um, sort of on the outside of the area, Martial's movement is okay. It could be better, but they've Harland's positioning. I've seen a few of the Dortmund games. is on another level, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, whether he goes to City, you no know, Chelsea. The Athletics said they, they Chelsea are looking at him as well. Barcelona, Madrid are in for him. Juventus are in for him. So we'll see. But yeah, he would be the one. And um, apart from that, Upamenko from Leipzig at centre back. Um, he would definitely be the other one, um, because United need a strength in depth at centre-back. They need four centre-backs, and if it's Upamenko, Maguire, Lindelof and Bailly, they're going to go places. So that, that that they'd be the two, I'd say, from the car. Yeah, I mean, Upamecano really ticks a big box, which is that he's got he's got pace and he's got physicality, right? And he picks up the ball and moves out of the defence really, really well. Um, you know, in 2019, when there were rumours that Leicester was going to ask for 100 million for Harry Maguire at the time, I said, you know what, can this deal and go for Pamecano? Uh, and we know that there's going to be this 47 million euro exit clause for him, uh, probably I think mm. at the end of summer, right? My gut feeling is that Bayern Munich have a much better chance of getting him. And now with David Alaba uh, moving out, I think there will be strong competition for him. Um, yep. And... Uh, but, you know, I agree with you. He would be my number one signing. And up front, uh, as a striker right now, if you give me an option, uh, an option to, to swap out Martial for half <laughs> I can hand off. Because hey, I, like, I like Martial at left wing. Uh, I think we've been patient enough. Um, I, I'm starting to be resigned to the fact uh, that, that he's not going to be the 30-goal-a-season striker that, that we really need. And uh, I don't want to write off a player... And I will support him every single game where he puts on a United shirt. But it's it's not looking really great. And you know, if if you want if you want uh, to be competing at the top, you need, as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says, a striker that breaks his nose. Yeah, and I'll, I'll probably add one more uh, position, which is defensive midfield. I think Matic is okay, but he's really the only kind of natural defensive midfield that they have. But Tomini's going to fill in that gap a bit. Um, but they need a more agile version of Matic because Matic. Um, you know, he, when he plays, it's brilliant. But he, the minute United essentially playing two with energy and Fred, and essentially it's McTominay or Fred, energy in midfield, or Matic, more consolidation, 
more creativity above Matic and um, yeah, they need a defensive midfielder who can play in the top games. They don't have to play McTominay and Fred every time they go to a big six club. Um, so that's the other position I'd say that they need to, to, to go for as well. Yep, and It's tough. There aren't many. I mean, Party was one that I thought that they could go for. I guess indeed either Leicester has proved himself at a top level. Um there aren't many players in that position. Um, indeed, he's probably <laughs> the one that shouts out because he's proven in the Premier League. And yeah, the only problem is that Leicester would demand a lot for him, but but he would be the standout player, I think. Yeah. Look, there, there, there are some players that we can look at, right? Uh, so I was really excited to see Moises Caicedo. He's not an established one, but potentially signing him from Ecuador. Uh, seems like he's, he's on his way to, to Brighton. Uh, a little bit disappointed about that. Um, but on the other hand, uh, look, there's, there's Ruben Neves who will be uh, uh, probably an £80 million player if, if Wolves want to sell him. Uh, indeed, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, also a potential. Uh, a couple of other players have been mentioned. One is Kion Kjopminers who plays at uh, Aze Alkma. Uh, really good left-footed, perfect, almost near-perfect replacement for, for Matic. He can, he can drop into the centre-back role as well. Um, and a recent name that's been coming up was, I think it's, he plays for Sassuolo, a guy called Locatelli. I'd encourage you to, to give a, take a look at him, right? It's, it's too early to judge, I would say, but he's potentially one of the people who can, uh, uh, who can be signed mm. as a defensive midfielder. And all that aside, uh, my opinion, the best defensive midfielder right now uh, in the Premier League uh, is Declan Rice. He does a lot of great stuff for West Ham, but my feeling is that if he has a chance to move, he'll move to to Chelsea because that's that's yeah, I agree. Club. I think seventy million is what West Ham wants. I think indeed he'll be cheaper, and yeah, I think I think Chelsea. I think Chelsea's a natural fit for Rice more than you know he doesn't have to leave London for for example. So, and of course you know he's got the links there from his childhood. So yeah, I think Rice will go to Chelsea. But you know there are options. There are as many options as other positions, but there are options for United overall, which is good. Not many Essex boys end up loving. <laughs> you got one here, hope. so that's that. That is something. <laughs> Wonderful, Tim. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's been great getting to know you and talking about. No worries, and uh, yeah, feel free to have me back at any any point, and uh, hopefully we'll see. You know how United go, and the next month's going to be pretty pretty big um, for them in trying to get towards the top of the table. You know, City look. Look, the favourites at the minute, Liverpool, say, still second favourites, United potentially third, but you never know. Funny old season, hey? Fingers crossed. All we can do is is back the team and back Ole. Every, exactly. Every well, good, inch good to, to speak it. to you anyway. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. You too. So that's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember to subscribe or share this podcast with your friends as well. Or if you really liked it, or you'll see something that we can improve, feel free to give us feedback. We're happy to hear from you. See you soon.